So today our scripture passage comes from the, uh, the book of Kings. And I'll be reading this a little bit later as we get into the message. Uh, but we're here still working through uh, what we call a forged in faith. This is a story of how God made his people Israel and the lessons that he brought to them and the ways that he forged them, the ways that he made them into his people. And, and seeing that, we can also see how God continues to make us and how he continues to forge us into his own people. Now, before we begin, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us here today and gathered us into your house, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the word that is proclaimed through all creation. We thank you for the word that indwells in us through your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for this word that is written in, in the pages of Scripture, that we might come to this fountain, Lord, and be filled, that we might be guided and directed. But Father, grant us that same spirit that inspired these words, that we may hear, that we may read, that we may understand your good and perfect will for us. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I saw this, uh, this uh, little documentary on Netflix the other day. It was called Attack of the Hollywood Clichés. It's a great little documentary. It was real fun, hosted by Rob Lowe. And he was talking about and showing us the many, many clichés that Hollywood and movies use to tell their story. And I, I didn't actually realize, I know Hollywood had their clichés, but I didn't actually realize how many they were and how prevalent they were until someone just, just laid, them out, laid them out there for me. And, and they're, so, they're a ton. And, and, and once I saw this, I began to see those, those cliches everywhere. And, and some are good because they really help to tell a story in a difficult medium. And some are just, well, some aren't so good. Just overused quite a bit. Let me give you some examples. Okay, one of the big Hollywood cliches, if you ever see a funeral in a movie, there's almost always someone watching the funeral from a distance. And sometimes there's even someone watching him from a distance watch from a distance. Another example, okay, in, in the movies, if someone goes to talk to someone that's died, they always go to the gravestone, right? You see them talk to tombstones a lot. That happens all the time in movies. Another one is the, the fake jump scare from the cat. And you see this in almost every horror movie, every scare movie, every suspense movie. You know what I'm talking about? The girl thinks that someone might be in the house. There's the creepy music playing. She goes up to open the closet door. And you know what happens next, right? A cat jumps out. A cat. It's always a cat. It's like all these houses are filled with cats just waiting to jump out and scare people. I mean, I believe that because that's just the nature of cats. And like I said, some of these are good because they help tell the story in familiar ways. But there's some cliches that are just terrible and I can't stand them. And the worst one of them all is the cliche called dead man walking. Dead man walking. You, you'll know what I'll talk about when I tell you in a minute. It is a part of the story where they tell you about a character and you know immediately that he's going to die. It's usually something good, some good news or something he's about to celebrate. And because of that, you know that character is about to die. Like, for instance, he'll say, our first child is about to be born. I'm so happy. If you see that in a movie, 
that guy's probably about to die. Or, or if it's a war movie, and the soldier's right to go on about the mission, about to get on his plane, and he stops and he looks at a picture of his wife. He's going to die. Guaranteed. Now, the worst of them all of the dead man walking cliches is the dead man walking cop, right? And you see a police movie. If you're watching a police movie and a cop says, I'm about to retire in three days. <laughs> he is dead. He's not going to even make it out of the first act. It's a guarantee all the time. You know what I really hate about that cliche, though, is that it's got this morbid idea that just when things are going good, just when things are going the best in life and you're riding that success, that is the moment when the bottom falls out and everything falls apart and disaster is about to hit you. And maybe what I hate most about that cliche is there's a little bit of truth in that. There's a little bit of truth because success is actually a quite a dangerous place for us to be, especially spiritually. Success can be a very dangerous place. You see what happens when we get to a successful point is we start to relax. We start to think, yeah, I made it now. I've, I've beaten my enemies. I've climbed the mountain. I've come through the trials and temptations. I've passed all those tests. And now I've arrived. Yes, I'm good. I can relax. I can rest on my laurels and just enjoy life. That is a dangerous place to be. And success can do that to us. And, 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 and the great danger of success is not just the temptations that come with success when we have a lot of money and we have a lot of pleasures available to us. And it's not just the temptation for us to kind of grow soft and to forget that we got to keep our guard up all the time. The greatest danger that we will find in success is that we forget where we came from and who we owe that success to. It's the greatest danger we find in success. Because if you reach that point, if you reach that pinnacle, you're going to start to think, oh, I'm pretty good. Yeah, look what I did. I made all this money. I, I built something successful. I made all this security for myself. Yeah, I'm a pretty smart guy. I think I got this life thing figured out. Thanks for your help, God, but I got it from here on out. I got it. That is a dangerous place. So often in our success and our prosperity, we forget that we still have to rely on God's grace, that we still have to rely on His mercy. We forget in our success that we always are and we always will be dependent creatures. doesn't matter how rich we become or strong or powerful or how many of the, the right things that we've done or what kind of security we built for ourselves, we will always be dependent children of God. We can never forget this. Because the moment we forget this, we're in some of the greatest danger of our life. Now this we find is actually exactly what happened to King Solomon. It happened to, to all of Israel. They reached this, this great height. They reached this great pinnacle of success. And it was in that very moment when they were the most successful, when they were the most peaceful, when they were the most wealthy. That is the moment 
they began their own destruction. It was just when they succeeded the most that they began to fail the most miserably. And worst of all, we read it and God let them fail. I mean, he warned them. Don't get me wrong. He warned them over and over again. But he did not stop them from failing. He just let it happen. Because it was in that failure that the nation of Israel remembered who they were. And it's there we find that a failure is actually an important piece in learning to be God's children. It might be the one we hate most of all, besides having to wander in the wilderness. God letting us fail. But then again, we can be stubborn sometimes. And sometimes those hard lessons of failure are the only ones that we will remember. And there's hard lessons of failure that we'll ever finally grasp and finally learn and understand that we are dependent and we will always be dependent upon him. So what happened with Solomon is, is, is Israel would take into this, this great height of prosperity and peace. And, and we've heard their story how they came from nothing, nothing. They were slaves when God found them. And it was only by his hand and his power that he delivered them. And they, and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years for that old slave mentality to die off. But God was with them and guiding them the whole time, miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and when they were ready, they came and they, they conquered a land and a people that were stronger than them. And it was only by the power of God that they were able to conquer. And they were able to, to fight against cities and kingdoms that were much more powerful. But God was with them and they trusted and they grew stronger and stronger. And we heard from Harris a few weeks ago about what life was like in the, in the time of the judges. And that was when, the, the, when Israel was, was ruled by judges. They didn't have any kings. It was, it was judges that ruled over them and protected them and guided them. But then a day came when Israel wanted kings. They said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king and they'll, they'll help us grow in prosperity. So God let them have a king and he anointed first Saul and then David and Liz told us a little bit last week about what life was like under King David and some of his failings and mistakes. And David truly was the greatest king that Israel had, but they, they hadn't reached that height yet. They still had higher to go. And that was for David's son, King Solomon. And King Solomon, oh man, he, gosh, he had everything. He had the recipe for success. He was, he was the favored child of his father. The people loved him. His army loved him. His advisors loved him. He was blessed. And he loved God. He was a good man that loved God and was guided by God. In, in fact, one night Solomon had a dream early in his reign. God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. Just name it. Name it and I'll give you anything. You know what Solomon asked for? He said, God, give me wisdom. It's hard to be a king, God. I need wisdom. And God was, so, he was like, oh, Solomon. Oh, man, you don't know how happy this makes me. You've chosen the best thing, wisdom. You didn't ask for money or for, for conquering your enemies or, or, or power. You asked for wisdom. And because you did that, I'm going to give you all of those things. And so Solomon, I mean, gosh, no better king. Right? He, he, he had the love of God. He was pious. He was good. He had the blessing of God. And on top of that, he had wisdom to boot. It was a great time to live in Israel. And Solomon was so wise 
and he had so much of the Holy Spirit in him, he actually wrote parts of the Bible. I don't know if you knew this, King Solomon, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote the Song of Solomon, he wrote many of the Psalms we have in the book of Psalms, and he actually wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And, and because of this wisdom and this blessing, Israel grew extraordinarily wealthy and extraordinarily strong. You know, look down at our, our scripture passage, those first two verses I got, 1 Kings 23 and 27 tells you exactly how great the nation was under Solomon. It says, thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. I mean, we're talking about insane wealth here. Silver was as common as stone. All his enemies were defeated. He was wiser than any other king of the earth. He had, he had enlarged the realm of Israel to the greatest that it would ever be. He had it all. And he even knew what the right way to live. I want to, in the book of Proverbs, he wrote this. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He knew where prosperity and success came from. It came from the Lord. And he knew the word of God was so important that if the word of God says one thing and my wisdom says another, you always go with the word of God. You lean not on your own understanding, but you lean on the word of God in everything you do. He knew where real wisdom came from. He knew he had to trust God in everything. But it's this that makes his fall all the more tragic. The fact that such a good and wise and blessed man can fall like Solomon did. It's a warning to us all. I'm going to read the scripture to you again. We're, we're going down to verse 1 here from 1 Kings 11. It said, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said of the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as day that his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely 
tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. So what was the downfall of Solomon here? He loved many foreign women. Now to us, we think, well, what was so bad about that, loving foreign women? We live in America. We're a great melting pot here, right? At, at one point, we were all foreigners, and we all kind of intermarried. What's so bad about loving foreign women? Well, the first thing God told him not to. Don't marry foreign women, he said. Don't enter into marriage into them. Don't let them marry you, and don't give them your sons in marriage. Now, let me clear up a little bit here. God has nothing against foreign women. All right, there's, there's n nothing racist or just uh, ethnically, you know, uh, concerning God about marrying foreign women. That's not his issue here. And some people would even suggest that this and other passages are going to tell, you know, command people not to let races intermarry. And that's not what God's talking about here. All right, God's got nothing against foreign women. and He's got nothing against people marrying from other races and cultures and ethnicities. The reason why God said don't marry foreign women had nothing to do with the women. It had everything to do with their gods. What God was warning them about is these foreign women would bring foreign gods into your midst. It was the same reason when they conquered Israel. He said, you need to wipe everyone out, push them all out. I don't want anyone left. Not because I hate them so much, because if you leave them behind, you're leaving behind their gods too. And I know you. I know you. Those foreign gods are going to tempt you. And they're going to draw you away, and you're going to begin to worship them instead of worshiping me. And that is the one rule you cannot break. Whatever you do, whatever wrong you stumble in, you can't go after other gods. That's exactly what happened. God called it. He called it years ago. He saw it coming. It's exactly what Solomon did. Brought in 700 wives. I mean, that's kind of folly anyway. I mean, how can you even remember all their names? That's 700 foreign gods that were brought in. This led to foreign temples and foreign altars, and soon even Solomon was worshiping these other gods. How could this happen? I mean, someone as wise and God-fearing as Solomon, how could he do something so stupid as to go after other gods? What happened was he forgot his own advice. His own words that he wrote down in Proverbs condemned him. He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. But Solomon got so successful, so powerful, so rich. He was just riding that high of his own success. He started to trust too much in his own thoughts and too much in his own wisdom. He was right for so long. He got the thought that he couldn't be wrong. And not me. Not me. I've got the wisdom of God as a gift. I can't be wrong. At some point, he began to lean on his own understanding. At some point, he was saying, I don't really see the harm in this. I mean, come on, what's the big deal? And I imagine it probably started small. Just one wife came in with a foreign god. Can I keep this? All right, fine, it's probably not that bad. And then she wanted to build an altar. 
Okay, as long as you build an altar and just keep it on the other side of the palace, that'll be okay. Then another wife just begged him, let me just build a temple, okay? Just a temple. That's all I want to do. You don't have to come in there. I just want to build this temple. All right, that's not so bad. And then one day, just, just come and worship with me, okay? You don't have to worship. Just do it with me. I want to worship with you. Can we worship together just once? Just once can we worship? Okay, all right. Before you know it, sacrificing to other gods, worshiping to other gods, bowing down to other gods. All because his mind said, it doesn't seem so bad to me. Even though God's word said in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Unfortunately, it wasn't just Solomon that fell in this way. All of Israel did. They let the foreign gods into their country, and soon the foreign gods led to foreign altars and foreign temples, and soon they were all worshiping these gods. Only very few remained faithful. And we're not talking about just some other nice gods that just happen to have other names. Some of these gods are very evil and asked them to do very evil things. Witchcraft, prostitution as a form of worship, even as much as child sacrifice. They forgot who they were. They forgot where they came from, that they had come from the one God, and the one God was their source of power and strength and hope and salvation. And as soon as they forgot that, everything began to fall apart in Israel. Everything. Solomon was the last king to have what they call the United Kingdom of Israel. As soon as he died, there was a civil war, and Israel was split in two. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and they never came together again. You had two sets of kings, and they warred against each other, and they had enemies chipping away at their kingdoms, and they had civil war and strife from the inside, and it was one bad king after another. And it got so bad, they even lost the book of the law. They didn't even have the book of law that Moses had given. They lost them, and it wasn't found until years later. It got so bad they never even didn't even uh, celebrate the Passover anymore. They were celebrating festivals to foreign gods and to Moloch and to Chemosh and to Ashtaroth and to Baal. They completely failed as God's people. Just when they were doing the best, they forgot who they were, and God let them fail. God let them fail. I mean, how else would they remember? How else would they truly remember that that is who they are and God is their one source of strength? I mean, say what you want about God. Say what you want about Him, but you can't say this, that God's a helicopter parent. Because He is not. He's not a helicopter parent. He's not a lawnmower parent. He's not a bulldozer parent. Our God will let us fail, sometimes colossally, sometimes epically that sounds unfair maybe does it sound cruel does it sound like he's being a distant father i think god knows sometimes the only way that we will learn is through failure we're stubborn people let's admit it the bible calls us stiff-necked it's a perfect way to describe us stiff-necked people Sometimes a failure is the only way 
that we'll learn. It's true that God does let us fail, but He doesn't leave us there. He never leaves us there. Even in our failure, even in our wandering away, God is still working in us and He's still working on us. For His own people, it got so bad that they were conquered by foreign enemies. The kingdom of Judah and the city of Israel were sacked by the Babylonians and the people of God were taken once again into slavery. For 70 years they were exiled, serving a Babylonian king. They were hard years. Maybe the hardest that Israel ever experienced. But through those, they realized once again who they were. Through those hard years of exile, they realized and they learned again that they belonged to God. It took them hitting rock bottom. But as soon as they hit rock bottom, for the first time, they could look up again. And they remembered their God. And when Israel came out of Babylon 70 years later, they were never the same. And over the last 2,000 years, the Jewish people have suffered lots of persecution. They've suffered hardship. They've suffered distress. But they have never forgotten again who they are and who their God is. Friends, God will let us fail. But He will never abandon us. He will let us stumble. But He's always there to pick us up again. He will make us learn some hard lessons but we're hard-headed people. Everything that God does is done in love, even letting us fail. But the one thing He won't do is abandon or forsake you. Through all your failures, our God is the one God that will never give up on you, even if it means letting you fail in the most epic way possible. Even if it means letting you lose everything. Because then at last you realize your only true need has been and always will be the unfailing love of God. And friends, if we truly have that, then we have everything. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.